Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Phil at the Movies. I'm your host, Phil Walsh, and you're listening to episode number 45 of this ongoing podcast series that is for the love of movies. And to paraphrase Michael Keaton's Bruce Wayne, today we're going to get nuts. Yes, today it is Batman for the entire episode, a Batman-centric episode. First up, my reaction to the Flash trailer, which debuted on Sunday. And following that, it will be the first ever featured commentary episode for Phil at the Movies, the movie chosen by you, the listeners, and I can say by an overwhelming margin, the winner is Batman. So Batman 1989, the Michael Keaton Jack Nicholson classic will be the first ever featured commentary for Phil at the Movies. So thank you for participating, thank you for voting, and thank you for deciding. This was a lot of fun to have kind of a back and forth. It was it was a little uh, bit of a tight race. Uh, the shark from Jaws was nipping at Batman's heels. It kind of felt like the scene from the Adam West movie with Batman hanging on the, the ladder and the shark trying to, to eat him, but... The the, sh- the the shark repellent bat spray uh, saved the day, it seems like, and Batman lives to fight another day. So I think maybe it's something in the air. Certainly the trailer with Michael Keaton's return to the role is on everyone's minds, and I think there's a lot of excitement building. I know I'm excited about it, so this is perfect timing, and I'm excited to be, wa- first off, watching Batman. I haven't watched it for about a year now, actually, before... The uh, the Batman came out last March. I did a rewatch of all of the Batman movies, and that was one of them in the in the catalog. So haven't watched this in about a year. So looking forward to it, and then doing a uh, doing a commentary. So this is the first ever. I don't get. Don't know how this is all going to work out. Maybe this will be the first and only time. Who knows? It's really uh, a, a bit of trial and, and error. But that's what I've been going for this year, trying to do different things with the show and and this is just part of that so thank you the listeners for for participating in the poll and i enjoyed reading your responses and and tweets and all of the uh the great comments so thank you and on top of that thank you to you the listeners for your continuous support and encouragement and overall warm response to this show i know i i say this every time but it, it is true this is a passion project for me, but the connections, the response, the friendships that have been made because of doing this show have just been all the more worthwhile and made it such a special uh, and fun ride. And I look forward to doing this for as long as I possibly can or as long as my voice will let me. But most important of all, to you, the listeners, to you, the friends, Thank you, thank you, thank you for your encouragement, for your support, and for tuning in and listening to this show. It means the world to me, and and, and your your connection and, and friendship just means that much more. So thank you, thank you, and thank you. A little bit more of housekeeping before we get to the main event of today's show, where we uh, fire up the Batmobile, if you will. Uh, if you have not done so already, feel free to rate and review this podcast and to quote Michael Keaton's Batman. I want you to tell all your friends, all your family about me or about this show. Let's let's put it that way. Uh, feel free to pass this along to anyone uh, who you think might enjoy listening to a fellow movie buff go on and on, perhaps too long at points, 
over over his love of movies. Uh, I guarantee you this show will be entertaining. A at worst, uh, maybe it will help put someone to sleep. You know, the sound of my voice may just lull them off to dreamland. I don't know. It, whatever works, right? Um, in any event, uh, let's see. What else is on the agenda for next week? So we've done now the commentary episode. We've done now a discussion episode. And I think for next week, it'll be a return to sort of business as usual with uh, uh, my thoughts on a recent movie, uh, recent in terms of uh, being released late last year. So stay tuned for that. In addition, I would like to try to touch on some Oscar-related films, given that we are fast approaching the season. So look for that in the coming weeks as well as well as other news and, and updates for in regards to this show, as I promise, there's going to be some new things and uh, different different projects over the next next couple of months. So stay tuned for that. So all right, with that, let's get to the main or, or the, the the precursor, if you will, to today's show. So first off, Sunday, the long-awaited trailer for the Flash movie, which is being released June sixteenth. Uh, debuted debuted during the Super Bowl and was out all online and and the reaction to it has been this is now a day later the reaction has been overwhelmingly positive and I think partly because people have been so curious about this movie it was supposed to come out last year there's been delays and pushbacks and I'm not going to go into all of the 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 details of it because it is a it is a storied tale but you can certainly find any number of articles online and kind of give you a a rundown of of events but nevertheless i think there has been curiosity and interest in this film and now of course with the return of michael keaton i was with some people uh earlier today and they had no idea that michael keaton was even coming back to play batman so there is this kind of shock and awe if you will among the the general audience that had no idea Michael Keaton was coming back. I mean, for those of us who who sort of devour this stuff and and, and are always plugged in, uh, you know, we we knew it was was on the horizon. But a lot of people in the general audience, casual viewers, had no idea Michael Keaton was returning to the role, and that in and of itself is is kind of the big exciting draw for this film this is now almost 31 years to the date after batman returns michael keaton making his his comeback in this movie and the trailer exceeded any expectations i i had i mean i i will will admit my my interest in this film largely has been predicated on michael keaton returning as batman everybody knows i'm a batman guy i'm a batman fan so i'm going to obviously be drawn to something Batman related. But I have to say, this was a fantastic trailer because it said a lot without giving away too much. We saw a basic idea of the plot. Essentially, the Flash screws up the universe in a way. The timeline gets disrupted and he has to try to fix it. And in the process of it, he has to recruit a now retired Bruce Wayne aka Batman to help him save the universe and because this universe doesn't have any metahumans so no Wonder Woman no Superman they have to try to make 
good with what they have. And then they ultimately team up with Supergirl. And it's just this, I mean, for a comic book fan, and I consider myself one, this looks just mind-blowingly awesome. It seems like such a a big grand scale movie that I will say has largely been missing from from the conversation. And that's not to diminish or dismiss films like Top Gun Maverick or Avatar, but in terms of comic book superhero movies, this feels like an entirely different beast. I mean, Andy Machete, the director, and and everyone involved seems to be putting everything they can into this movie. And again, of course, the crown jewel being Michael Keaton's return as Batman. I mean, the 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 trailer knew just how to hit those beats because there's a moment where Michael Keaton comes out in the full Batman costume, cowl and suit and the and cape and he just looks into almost looks into into the eyes, almost breaking the fourth wall and and does his iconic line I'm Batman. I mean, again, I'm not doing it right, you know. But you get the you get the impression. Uh, it just looks wonderful. The the uh, the callbacks to the '89 Batman movie and, and just the the sort of grandiose comic book feel about this. It's really exciting. I I have to say, I'm not I'm not that plugged into the Flash character other than sort of peripheral. Uh, stuff. So I, I kind of feel like a, you know, I'm experiencing experiencing this whole uh, saga for the first time, and I found, you know, I'm finding myself being drawn uh, in, into the world of the Flash. So, you know, this movie has hooked me. It's I think going to hook in the general audience, and I and I will even say this because, again, there's been a lot of back and forth about where Michael Keaton's role is and where it stands after this movie. I have no inside source. I have no uh, connection. This is just pure speculation. But I, I would think if this movie does big numbers, and there's a lot of expectation that this movie is going to, uh, to be a box office hit, if it is successful with fans and critics and, and does well, I have to think, just given the reaction that has been online, and of course, take everything with a pinch of salt, but the reaction to Keaton's return as Batman, I have to believe that if this movie does well, there will be a call and a desire to bring back Michael Keaton as Batman in some form. And now there is a perfect opportunity through DC uh, Studios because they have their own separate universe, if you will, separate from the main continuity of of films. This movie, The Flash, is kind of meant to be acting as a reboot, a reset of the universe, if you will, ahead of the new slate of DC films that will be coming out over the next couple of years. Now, we already have this separate universe, which is filled with, or separate universes, I should say, the DC Elseworld label. You've got things like Joker, soon-to-be Joker, Folly Adieu, the Batman, soon to be the Batman Part 2. I could see if this movie does well and there's a real desire and, and, and call for Michael Keaton to come back and he expresses interest, that I have to believe there will be some kind of a, uh, additional project for his Batman down the road. Because just the reaction that I've seen online, I mean, people are, are euphoric for his return. And, and rightfully so. Michael Keaton was the first 
live action movie Batman. He defied expectations. He exceeded expectations. He he created the modern Batman. And I think to have him return, it's not only nostalgia, but you know, it's sort of you're bringing back the uh, the, uh, the the top dog, if you will, the the, you know, the guy who who still got it. And from what I saw in this trailer, Michael Keaton still has it. He still got that that look. He still has the glare. He has the Batman voice. He has the iconic phrase. He is Batman for all intents and purposes. So this trailer it sold me. I can't wait for this movie, and definitely will be talking more about it as the build up and anticipation. Uh, gets closer for the June release. But I figured that kind of sets the stage, if you will, now that we have Michael Keaton's Batman on the the brain. Uh, What a perfect opportunity now to do the commentary, to start today's featured episode, the the first ever commentary for Phil at the movies. is how today's main event is going to work. As I said last week, I don't want to get into the waters of copyright issues. I don't have a life jacket, and I don't really feel like swimming in them. So rather than dip into the, the deep end, if you will, I have the movie queued up. And so if you want to do the same, if you want to watch and listen to the commentary you can do that. And what will happen, I will tell you uh, when uh, to hit play. We'll, we'll all hit play at the same time, and we'll watch the movie together, and I will give you my my thoughts and reactions on Batman 89. So take this opportunity now to maybe find a, a comfortable seat, maybe a, a snack or two, uh, a beverage in hand, and then we will we will get started. I, I, I'm excited to do this because not only has it been about a year since I've watched this movie, now with the trailer for The Flash and the anticipated return of Michael Keaton, I, I'm I'm amped to uh, to revisit this movie. So this will be fun. This is the first ever Phil at the Movies commentary. So once again, thank you to you, the listeners, for choosing today's title. Promise that I will get to the other ones in the slate down the road, but uh, I think given the release of the Flash trailer, this movie's uh, uh, review commentary couldn't have been more timely, so hats off to uh, all the people who voted for Batman. All right, with that, let's, uh, let's get comfortable, let's get started. I've got the movie queued up here, gonna hit play in three, two, one, here we go. Oh, the music already. Oh, Danny Elfman is a genius. Jack Nicholson. Michael Keaton. Kim Basinger. This is, oh, this is just great. This is great. Big moment. Batman. Oh, wow. 
this whole opening, outside of being just sort of a, a, a cinematographer's dream with the sort of navigating in and out of the bat symbol, talk about a way of just immediately distinguishing yourself from the TV show. And I know that was the big question mark that 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 really hung over this movie prior to its release, or really the trailer. Many people had, you know, rightfully so, the television show in their mind. I mean, obviously, fans of the comic books knew different, but for the general audience, this movie was was such a, a step in a totally new direction. And to think that, you know, they could do a serious Batman without pow and bam and all the bright colors. I mean, this was a, a bold risk. I'm not sure that a studio would take this kind of a risk today. I mean, you look back on it, it seems like a no-brainer, but I mean, this was a, a risky venture for the studio. This was a $50 million uh, budget for, for this movie, which, I mean, again, we're talking 1988, 1989. That was, that was big money. And on a concept that was wildly different from the, the television show, I mean, of course, when Michael Keaton was cast, uh, everyone went berserk. I mean, that's that's no that's no surprise with the way fan reactions sometimes go with casting. But I mean, the Wall Street Journal of all places had a editorial saying, "Has has Warner Brothers lost their mind?" Which obviously they didn't. But it just it's so fascinating. Oh, Gotham City. Next to Matt Reeves, this is my favorite version of Gotham City. Just love the gothic architecture. It feels like a character. First time I saw this movie, I thought this was supposed to be the Waynes, you know, because they got the father and the mother and the and the the boy. Again, good subversion, really. Uh, but by the writers, because you immediately think, "Oh, we're we're getting uh, the Waynes here. This is the Waynes murder," but it's not. For God's sake, Harold! I know where we are, okay. <laughs> That's why you're taking your family on a detour through a back alley. Good thinking, Dad. Just the look of it, the, the, the dirt, the grime, the garbage everywhere. I mean, this just, it, it has the impression of a real city. And yet, you can't put it anywhere on the map. Really a timeless feel. He's creepy. Oh. And she screams. <laughs> oh, there he is. Now that Batman at the top of the building, that was all animated. Sort of a early animation. Kind of shows, but it works. I like also how they how they give you a passion that 
Nobody knows, nobody knows who or what Batman is. He's this creature of the night, and everybody is on edge. Subtle exposition with this whole scene with the two, the, the two thugs. It, it just works. You get a whole sense of this world. Batman looks like such a monster, it, it, like it, in the best possible way. Just this gothic creature, the way he descends from the the rooftops, fog everywhere. Oh, it's brilliant! Uh, iconic moment. Whew, there he is, genius. I always love this scene. They shoot him, and then of course. Areas like playing into the whole idea that he is this terrifying creature of the night. Oh my god! Is is he is he not human? <laughs> nope. Oh, there we go. The big moment here it comes. Oh. Oh, it's this is so. Oh, it's so intense. I'm Batman. Oh. Interestingly, that was not the line in the script. The original line was, "I am the night," which it, it just would not have worked. This was an on-set change because if you look at the comic book adaptation. Uh, that line, I am the night, is still in there. So this was a change that was done while filming. And, I mean, of course, it's become the iconic line, but uh, hats off to, to Keaton for just sort of thinking of it on the spot. And, and boom, I mean, you know, the, the famous phrase was born, but it, that would not have, I am the night would not have carried such such weight. But, okay, let's see. Uh, Billy D. Williams uh, would have loved to have seen him return and play Harvey Dent, Two Face, in another movie. Uh, wasted opportunity. Uh, lost opportunity. And I know there's the Lego movie and the 89 comic book, but it's not the same, especially when he signed on to play Dent. Wanted, or he had thought that maybe down the road he would get to play Two Face, but uh, it, it was not meant to be. And that's a that that's one of those great what ifs, and I, I think he would have done a fantastic and and really terrifying job as Two Face. Let's see what do we got. Oh. <laughs> Jack Nicholson, you can just tell, was having such a blast with this movie. I mean, even in a scene like this where he's not even in the makeup, he just you can tell he relished this movie. Oh, I'm telling you, man, it's the giant bat. Oh, I forgot how funny some of these lines are. <laughs> this movie is really a giant crowd blazer, looking back on it. Oh, yes, Eckhart. He also played Porkins on the, uh, in episode four, New Hope. Oh. Christ, Knox. <laughs> 
for an original character, Knox was a great creation. Uh, just a, a a wonderful kind of eyes and ears on the street of Gotham City. Uh, just just a perfect creation. And Robert Wool, he he's fantastic in it. Uh, another one I've I've liked to have seen him return for another film. And his character originally died in the script, but they changed it. So probably thinking of a return for a sequel, but never happened. I love how they're just all feeding into conspiracy, feeding into rumor about who Batman is. Nobody knows. Is he a man? Is he a monster? Is he a vampire? Oh, it's just genius. It just adds to the whole mystique of the character and, and the legend. Uh, this movie did such a phenomenal job at, at establishing Batman as this this mythic creature. Uh, you know, probably not until the Batman have I seen that kind of a level where Batman is almost this this thing you you know name you whisper in the shadows. It's more of a a quick he's there then he's gone. Mm, crooked cops in Gotham City. Nothing new there. <laughs> Nothing new there. I love this whole moment. Jack's got his own right-hand man, too. Enter Bob, Bob the Goon. Soon to be the, the number one guy. Another great original character for, for this movie. Jack Nicholson is just born to play this role. He's just perfect. Even when he's Jack Napier, he's perfect. He's just... He just does something with this character that's like almost right from the comic books of that time. I mean, I think of the Joker's five-way revenge. He almost, he looks like he's pulled right from the pages. And different from what came before. Think of Cesar Romero as an example. Uh, again, never, uh, Gotham City never looks so good or so bad, depending how you look at it. Uh This character, the mayor, he was a good character. He was he was sort of this typical politician who's just lost in his bureaucracy. Uh, okay, getting ready for the the entrance of Vicky Vale. This uh, cartoonist coming up here, who uh, Knox has a conversation with. This was originally supposed to be portrayed by Bob Kane in a cameo, but the uh, I guess the uh, co-creator of Batman fell ill and did not did not appear uh, in the big screen adaptation. I like the Vicky Vale character. I, I wouldn't mind seeing the character return in, in some form, maybe in the Pattinson films or what's coming down the line with the DCU, but uh, she's a she's an underrated love interest for, for Batman and Really a fascinating character in her own right. And she definitely added to this story, added to the emotional weight and the, the struggle of Bruce Wayne and Batman. Now, Basinger wasn't the first choice. Originally, it was Sean Young. She's going to play the character, but she broke her shoulder or elbow while she was horseback riding in London. And interestingly, there was going to be a whole set of scenes featuring horseback riding at Wayne Manor and Batman on horseback but I think because of the accident that led to Sean Young's recasting all of the the horse riding scenes were cut from the film but kind of an interesting image to think about Batman riding on on horseback through Gotham City brings to mind the image from 
the Dark Knight Returns graphic novel. Nice subtleties with with Napier in the movie. He's you know subtle purple. He's got the the Joker pre Joker attire, if you will. I love those sort of little uh, little hints of foreshadowing and. Of course, he has much louder and, and garish outfits as the movie progresses, but it's kind of nice to show hints of the Joker just percolating beneath the surface. And interestingly, uh, for those who may not follow the the comic books, um, this whole setup with, with the Joker's origin with him falling into a vat of chemicals, was was taken from earlier comic books and stories going back to the 1950s and, and even through the 1980s. But the idea of him being this, this crooked, really violent gangster, uh, mob lieutenant, uh, was, was really a, an original creation for this movie. And the Jack Napier character uh, has since been kind of accepted into the lore as a possible alias for the Joker. And again, it all stems back to this movie, the animated series, which would follow this film uh, in the early 90s, Batman the Animated Series, took a lot of inspiration from this movie, especially the whole chemical bath, Joker being this gangster and then falling into the vat. Uh, So it just sort of shows you the influence this movie had uh, and kind of shaping the Batman mythos through today. Michael Goth, uh, Michael Goth is just, he was a wonderful actor, and I loved him in a lot of the old Hammer horror films that he was in, but he is perfect as Alfred in this movie. He, he is he is one of my favorite Alfreds. I, I should do a ranking of, my, of, of all the people who played Alfred, but Michael Goth is fantastic in this movie it, it, he's he's really the comic relief uh but he does it in a way that it's it's always understated it's never in your in your face he sort of just does these subtleties like like right here this whole scene with bruce trying to figure out where do i put the pen and then alfred's right there to collect it and then oh my god this is genius yeah bruce is finishing up the champagne Alfred's right there to you know collect it for him. It's just like it's just stuff like that that makes his Alfred so lovable and memorable. But that whole exchange, I, I largely Bruce Wayne is portrayed as this billionaire and this everybody knows him. But I like how in this movie he really is aloof. He really is withdrawn. That people may not even know who he is or what he looks like. And this whole exchange with Vicky, you know, she's like, oh, who's, you know, does anyone know who Bruce Wayne is? And of course she's talking to him and he's saying, no, I'm not sure. Like it just shows you what a a recluse this guy has become. And I I don't think that's, that's often kind of overlooked with Keaton's character that, that he really portrayed this, this tortured, uh, arrested at age eight, Bruce Wayne, just someone who was in, in a constant state of distress and looking to hide in the shadows. Uh, it just adds to the lore. And again, there's something about Keaton's eyes with the way he looks, the way he he interacts. You can tell that there's something going on. Like he, he has a, a, a brilliant mask on, if you will, a, a metaphorical mask. And it just sort of 
makes you believe that this guy could be Batman. And of course, as I said earlier, there was this whole blow up about Michael Keaton being cast as Batman and people thinking that they were going down the route of the TV show and it being this campy over the top film and Mr. Mom playing Batman and the Wall Street Journal having a offering their two cents. I mean, but yet Tim Burton, the director, he knew what he was doing. This was a brilliant casting decision. And again, we've seen this happen time and again throughout the Batman franchise. I mean, Heath Ledger and his casting, everyone went crazy and said, oh my God, you can't cast him. He'll be terrible as the Joker. Well, he proved all them wrong. Keaton certainly proved all of his naysayers wrong. Robert Pattinson. I mean, there just seems to be this this pattern of casting in Bath, Batman movies always breaking uh, uh, the internet, if you will, or breaking the news cycle. Uh, and then always the actor proving uh, proving the critics wrong. And, and Keaton is just perfect because he's he goes against type. He's not he's not uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger in a bat suit and. You know, a lot of people at the studio at that time were really pushing Tim Burton and company to cast a, a well-known, well-established action actor. I mean, everybody from Pierce Bronson was considered, who famously turned it down, to Alec Baldwin, to at one point, now this was going back way, way in the in the rear view, but Bill Murray was at one point in consideration to play Batman. I mean, the production of this film to get Batman on the big screen was about a 10, 10 and a half year project. And it started with many different drafts of the script. Uh, Tom Mankiewicz, the writer for the Superman movies, he came in and wrote a draft, but he discovered quickly that you couldn't write Batman in the same way you would write Superman. And so the project was shelved, and then there were other directors brought in. At one point, Joe Dante was considered as a director. I mean, the whole Bill Murray concept was batted around in the mid-'80s. Whether I don't think it ever took on much, much weight other than just as a possibility, but this is when they were still trying to figure out is this movie going to be a serious take on the character? Or is it going to be more on the the vein of the comic uh, of the TV show? And, and interestingly, when they were trying to get the rights for this the, the the character, this is again going back in the late '70s, early '80s. One of the kind of pitches that was circulating was send Batman into space. Like that's the only way to do it. Just do wild and crazy stuff. And I mean. Again, everything works out, but it just sort of shows you what a what a hellish ordeal it was to get to Gotham City. I mean, draft after draft after draft, and then ultimately, while they were even filming the movie, they had to, they were rewriting parts of the script. The whole ending of this film was a complete rewrite while they were filming the movie. I mean, this was a labor of love, and I mean, luckily it all worked out, but it just it just shows you what an involved process the whole script writing production making can be i mean i love this scene batman just descends from the the rafters and commissioner gordon gets his first look at batman oh it's genius yeah i mean just the whole thing uh oh my god <laughs> pat hingle 
another actor who was perfectly cast as Commissioner Gordon in this movie uh, didn't get a lot to do in the four films that he played the character. But he works with what little he has, and he's just such a great presence in the film. I mean, you can't have Batman without Commissioner Gordon. The famous bat head turner, lack thereof, because Keaton couldn't move his head in the in the cowl, and so there's the whole famous bat turn where he has to like pivot his body in order to move. Uh, it's really, I mean, I mean now, I mean, of course, they make it where the costume is flexible and you can move around, but back then it was was very different. <laughs> Their first confrontation. Jack versus Batman. <laughs> nice outfit. <laughs> Jack Nicholson is just genius. I mean, he, he just, the man is a genius. Apparently, Brad Dorif was batted around as a name. I mean, Jack Nicholson was always the favorite, always the choice to play the Joker. But uh, like with anything, I think actors want to be coaxed into something and talked into it. And so in the event that Nicholson had declined, uh, Brad Dorff was, was a name that was, was passed around uh, Willem Dafoe, interestingly enough. But it's kind of funny with Brad Dorff to think that the voice of Chucky you know, could have played the Joker. I mean, in some alternate universe, I'm sure that is, uh, that is the case. But, I mean, Jack Nicholson is just fantastic in this film. Uh, he, he, he's... He, he he's he was the perfect person to play the Joker in the 1980s. You couldn't think of any other person to play that character. And there he goes, the drop. Oh, down he goes. Time for your bath. There he goes. Oh, he's gone. They got him. The chemicals got him. Or so we think. <laughs> I guess because this bat suit was so heavy and so cumbersome to move they had a bunch of different stunt actors in the costume who could do sort of the nimble movements that were required and and one of them was even a ballet dancer who would be able to move the cape and, and kind of glide in the costume for sort of the long uh wide shots but it really shows it was a lot of a lot of a lot of a uh, lot of hands in the uh, the kitchen, if you will, to to make this uh make this bat suit come to life. Oh, th this scene scared the hell out of me as a kid, where the hand comes up from the river, and it's just like, oh my god, the nails are just colored. Holy shit, that is frightening. That's <laughs> just nightmare fuel. Get back to Vicky Vale and and Knox, and they're planning their investigation, try to find Batman's M.O. Th these scenes were nice. Again, that's what I like about this movie is it takes time to breathe. It doesn't just go 100 miles an hour for the entire two hours. It really, it's subtle. You know, action, slow. Action, slow. And that's that's something you don't always see in modern movies. Oh, this is great. Th this whole dinner sequence... Like, they're just at this huge dining room table. <laughs> like, Bruce Wayne is such a weird <laughs> Like, you're just sitting there. How's the soup? It's just, oh, it's great. Just sort of illustrates how this guy is almost like a Citizen Kane 
figure. He's he's holed up in a mansion and 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 just sort of is an odd, quirky guy. Uh, Keaton really did bring a sense of humor to this role. That's it's understated. It's it's really it's not for laughs. It's not slapstick. But again, that's probably partly because he had you know had that history in comedy and he had great timing. But his his sort of subtle nuances. He he's able to make the absurdity work. And, and you just, I, as I said, it. you believe this guy is Batman. You believe that this guy uh, puts on a costume every night and fights crime. Well, that's another good scene with Alfred just sort of embarrassing him. Again, these kind of scenes just sort of add to this movie. That's what I said earlier. Like, not not all modern movies, but there is this tendency to just sort of like hit the gas pedal right after the opening credits. And and this movie doesn't do that. I wouldn't call it a slow burn, but but there's there's a lot of layers to it. So you get your exciting action pieces, you get your, your high stakes drama, but then you get a lot of these soft character moments. Like these moments right here just sort of to me shine a spotlight on who this Bruce Wayne is. That this is someone who is so pardon the expression, fucked up from what happened to him, and yet he's trying to figure himself out. He's trying to be normal. And this girl, Vicki Vale, she's coming into his life, and he's in a way she's almost screwing up his plan because he's devoted himself to being to Batman and being on this mission. But he's almost discovering now that that he maybe can have a normal life, that he doesn't have to be alone. And again, it's moments like these you can see the the dilemma. You know, just those those, those subtleties in, in Keaton's eyes just it just buys you, it makes you buy into the whole experience. Oh, th- this was nightmare fuel as a kid. Oh my God, the surgeon center. Oh my God, back alley operating room. Dear God, this was this was like straight out of a out of a horror movie. Like I remember watching this as a kid with my sisters. They couldn't watch this scene. Like, Napier is... Nicholson is just unhinged in this movie. Like, it just works. But, dear God, it is terrifying. And I love how they don't show what's happened to his face. They keep us in suspense. Uh, You know, I I almost feel like now a modern movie would be like, let's show the Joker as soon as possible. But, like, no. We're building up to it. It's coming. It's happening slowly. God. Nicholson has a great laugh. He really does. It's, it's, it's like, it's, it's what you would expect the Joker from the comic books of that time. It's just, it's, it's like a great translation from page to screen. And here we go. The big revelation of the Joker. Joker's big entrance. I love the use of lighting in this movie. It just. It really adds to a whole other layer of of character and, and really lays on the tension. I mean, right here, again, the Joker seems frightening, just covered in shadows. I mean, you know he's there, but it's just, it adds to the mystique. It adds to the mystery. It adds to the drama. It's just, like, again, you can see it. I mean, I'm watching this in, on 4K, so you can kind of see more of the details, but it, it, it just holds up. This is a beautiful transfer 
my God. I, I'm getting really wonky. I'm sorry, but you know, I'm just like, I'm just geeking this up right now. <laughs> yeah, this is... I mean, think of the actors in this film. I mean, Nicholson, obviously, and Keaton. But I mean, you've know, got Jack Palance, uh, Billy D. Williams, Pat Hingle, Michael Goff. I mean, just a fantastic uh, uh, cast. And, and everybody is taking it seriously. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it's certainly not perhaps by modern standards, but it, it, it's, it, it works. It all just works. Oh, here it comes. Joker. There it is. Oh. Uh, I mean, there is a reason why Jack Nicholson was the standard by which the Joker was judged prior to Heath Ledger. You know, there was a reason why Jack Nicholson was the standard for a comic book movie villain. Like, he, he just... He, to have an actor of that caliber in a film that is essentially, you know, based on a, a comic book, a major coup in and of itself, but then his performance and the weight of his performance, it's a force of nature. And again, I think without Jack Nicholson, this movie doesn't doesn't get made or it doesn't go in the direction that it ultimately went. I think his weight, his star power, lended such credibility to this film. And like I said, it, it paved the way for other actors who would, come down the road and, and not just in Batman movies but in other superhero movies it's it's really a force of nature to watch and it really gives you that domino effect and that's how you get Danny DeVito Michelle Pfeiffer and Willem Dafoe and uh it just again the list goes on oh I love this this part right here where she sees him hanging upside down like a bat I mean again those weird little quirky subtleties that just make Keaton's Bruce Wayne Batman that much more interesting and rich as a character that you know they really go out of their way to show that this guy is 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 out of it that this guy is on a whole other you know he's in a whole other you know cave if you will a whole other lair uh, but it just works it just works this queer quirky weirdness and and this whole movie has this this fun quirky vibe to it uh yet while also being serious and, and 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 honoring the tradition of the comic books. I love this line. Wait till they get a load of me. <laughs> nope. And the next morning, there's a tell-all. I spent the night with Batman. Uh, Alfred, Alfred blowing Bruce's cover. Come on, man. Not cool. Not cool. Not cool, Alfred. Uh, but he means well. Oh, this scene. <laughs> the Joker with a martini glass right there. <laughs> Man after my own heart. <laughs> oh, down she goes. <laughs> oh, th this scene. My God, this is intense. Joker and the mob. This is just genius. The whole makeup over the Joker's makeup. It, it, I watched one of the documentaries and it was a process because in the way it's written the joker puts flesh colored makeup on to cover his white skin and then he has to like wipe it off with a cloth so the way i guess they did is they like put a layer of makeup on on top of jack nicholson's skin and then put another layer 
of of makeup on and then on top of another layer and then use this uh kind of liquid polish to then just strip away the top layer so that all you would see afterwards would be white it was a very convoluted process but obviously a few points during the movie he has to paint his skin flesh colored in order to to look less like the joker <laughs> of this scene the healing power of laughter. <laughs> oh God, it's just genius. It's just uh, like again, Nicholson is just having a ball. You could just see. I mean, he is he is eating this whole scene up. Oh my God, he's just he's uh, he's unleashed. He is a kid in a candy store. This movie, just like his little mannerisms, the way he like talks to himself. Oh my God, it's fantastic. Oh, yes, how we establish Bob is the uh, number one guy. <laughs> this is great. I mean, this is such a Joker moment. You could imagine any comic book of that time, even to today, but especially then. This just seems like it's a, a direct translation. Joker just talking to a burnt corpse. Like, it's just like, it's such a Joker thing to do, like, Having a, a, a an actual conversation. <laughs> oh my god! And and Nicholson makes it work because this is one of those moments where like you could really play into the absurdity or do it over the top, but this is this is perfect. He, he Nicholson always finds that balance. Get another moment here at the Gotham Gotham Herald, and I like just so we, again we're getting kind of subtleties and and subtle exposition. Uh, that was a, a, a smart choice, I think, this movie made to not do a direct origin story because many of the early drafts of the script went that route. The The, the Tom Mankiewicz version was almost a, a, a blueprint or kind of followed the Superman movie blueprint with starting at Bruce Wayne's beginnings and working his way through his training to eventually becoming Batman. And I, I, I think it, it works better when you keep it more of a mystery and just sort of allude to different things. I like how this is starting with Batman kind of only being on the job for a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months. But what we get is more character moments that kind of reveal a much larger story. And then, of course, with the, 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 the scene with his parents later on, it, it all ties it together in in this movie that's almost this bad this again kind of this battle of trauma and and how it plays out uh, that's really the i think the theme of both of burton's movies this understated trauma of these individuals who were working out their problems on the stage that is gotham city this is such a, a tender moment that We've never seen in another Batman film, and I I hope Matt Reeves does something like this or 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 similar to it in his films. But just Bruce going down to the alley where his parents were killed and leaving the two roses—it's it, subtle. It, it's those moments that sort of again paint a, a, a larger picture of a of a much more complicated story. Uh, but but again, it doesn't hit us the audience over the head with it it's just it sort of leaves it to the subtleties leaves it to to the imagination we're 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 kind of locked in on this 
this story, this this battle, if you will, which is between Batman and the Joker, uh, and everything else is kind of just sort of uh, you know extras, you know, little 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 flourishes here, little flourishes there. I mean, if anything, this movie to me almost speaks to a, a theme of of both sanity and insanity. With in the case of Bruce Wayne, he's not obviously on the Joker's level. But but he is scarred by his events. He's traumatized by what happened to him as a child. And yet there's a part of him that wants to go sane, if you will, that wants to, to have a normal life. And the Joker, by contrast, is taking the opposite approach. He, he wants to just keep going over the edge and bring everybody down with him. Uh, it, it's an interesting dichotomy. And you really see it in this particular scene at the courthouse. You've got Bruce who's there in plain clothing and, and taking it all in. And the Joker who's standing out like a sore thumb and just sort of shows that his insanity has manifested and he's trying to, to bring everybody down with him. It's this this twisted battle of, of psychology and kind of battle of the wills. Who will win, the sane or the, or the insane? But I, I really see this film as a as sort of that struggle of that dichotomy between insanity and, and sanity with ultimately I would say sanity in a way prevails, uh, because that's the you know, we're watching Bruce's story and how he's trying to to have a normal life and try to have a a happier existence and the Joker's just the complete opposite of that. I always love when Bruce Wayne tries to get in on the action without his Batman attire. It's just such a such a fun character moment because he can only do so much and obviously he's without his suit and so he's he's limited. Well, this whole scene is fantastic. <laughs> the punching glove. <laughs> oh my god, this is great. <laughs> Probably one of the best lines of the whole movie right here. Batman. <laughs> Could somebody tell me what kind of a world we live in where a man dressed up as a bat gets all of my press? This town needs an enema. <laughs> Just such a good line. Like, plays right into the Joker's psychology. Again, never having to overstate it with this film. It just sort of, you know, it, it comes in, does its business, and then and then moves on. Like, it, it, it just, it works. Oh, it works. And here we go. Another nice character moment with Alfred and Bruce sort of slows things down. Alfred, you can see, is concerned about Bruce's well-being, wants him to have a happy life. Alfred's always got his best interest at heart. It shows you that struggle that Bruce has trying to figure out who he is, what he wants, what he can be. Oh, there we go. Big twist. Jack Napier's alive. Again, the the knock has always been on these movies, and I'm talking about you know the, the Keaton films that Bruce isn't a detective, Batman is, isn't a detective, and and I would almost challenge that because while it isn't as is say pronounced as other films have have explored the concept, specifically the Batman, or even in the comic books. It's it's there in subtleties. This is you know again it's not you know 
hitting you over the head with it, but there are moments where you can see this this Batman is a detective. You know, he's scouring for clues. He's going through uh, through old you know memos and and, and briefing notes and putting together uh, you know the eventual f- formula to to so- you know, solve the Joker's poison later on. Like I, I've always thought, there was there was just the kind of the right amount of detective work. I mean, not. What what you might see in the comic books and and certainly in later films, but it's definitely I think it's there. I think it's there. It's again more in the subtleties. Oh, this is another fantastic scene. Love how the Joker is just always in a new outfit every time you see him. He's always in some louder shade of purple. Uh, <laughs> he calls Knox. Who is that lost? Yeah, well, Joker's got a crush on Vicky Vale. Again, I, I like when they try to have this kind of connection, if you will, between Batman and the Joker. And certainly other films and stories have taken it on a much more philosophical battle. But but this this one is kind of interesting because they both like the same girl in a way. And it's sort of this this battle if you will over over a girl it's sort of interesting uh you know again it works for this this movie i mean you couldn't imagine heath ledger's joker doing this or or uh joaquin phoenix's but it, it works for this particular iteration of the movie or this particular iteration of the character to have a you know joker obsessed over somebody and then sets out to uh you know make her his girl and just sort of funny that there's sort of that direct conflict with with Batman. Access chemicals, here it is. Oh, Joker's getting hard at work now. Gotta gotta make the magic potion, if you will. Oh, Gotham News. This was another scene that, that feels like a direct translation from the early comics where the Joker would hijack a news broadcast and project his evil plans and machinations. This is just, I mean, this is classic Joker from the golden age, silver age of comics. I mean, right out of his early uh, first few entries, he was always either hijacking, hijacking some kind of a news uh, station or radio broadcast to taunt Gotham City or taunt Batman. So I mean, this is this is right in that wheelhouse. I love how Bruce is watching it. He's just getting so uncomfortable loosening the the tie around his neck. And and here we go, more uh, more detective work. So again, subtleties right here. Batman putting together. The Joker's history with chemistry and, and and knowledge of chemicals, and subtle subtle moments right there that make it that just make it work. Oh, jeez! <laughs> of course, you know the Joker has uh, contaminated all of the products in Gotham City, and of course now the news, uh, the reporters look look uh, look frightening. <laughs> There, back to the Joker. Painting on uh, his flesh-colored skin. 
See, all the Jokers have worn makeup in some form or another. <laughs> I mentioned earlier about the, the set pieces and the look of Gotham City. It, it just feels larger than life. And the, the all of these were were built over in, in, in Pinewood Studio in, in England. And it, it just adds such a such a level to the to the design and, and again to the feel of the movie instead of just being in a, a sound stage or on some crummy back lot. I mean this was in a uh, you know a studio back lot in London but but the designs and the space it doesn't doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel cramped. It just gives you this impression that this is a a real place and and happening at some time. That was another thing about this movie. They never wanted it to be a, a specific date and time. So, like, it's not, okay, this was 1989. It, Tim Burton wanted to have that timeless feel. So you really don't know when this movie takes place because there's sort of this uh, blurring of, of modern technologies with sort of the look and, and, and feel of, of 1939 when Batman was first created. So that stylish look to the cars and the rounded look uh, on some of the buildings, kind of that Art Deco feel and, and, and look really feels, again, that timeless quality, which I think in anything really just strengthens the movie because if this had been set in modern day 1989, I think it would now look dated. I mean, this movie is over 30 years old, and and it looks it looks great. It holds up, and it, it feels like it's trapped in this perfect you know, time frame of of whenever it could be 20 years in the past, could be 20 years in the future. It doesn't matter, and that's what I think makes this makes it work. Oh, the Joker's here. I, it, I have to think, and again, this is just me speculating, but given that Tim Burton had been a fan of the TV show, and that was his, his real introduction to Batman, I have to wonder if this whole sequence in the museum is not a subtle homage to the episode from the 66 show. Uh, there was an episode called pop goes the joker flop goes the joker where the joker becomes a, a an artist but at the start of the the episode he destroys and defaces a museum and destroys all the paintings and i've always wondered and, and i've never been able to confirm it but i've always wondered if there wasn't some either homage or tribute to what had come before and it, 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 you know if that is the case it does show that even though there was this concerted effort to try and move the character away from the the lightheartedness of the 60s it, it, you can't help but but pay tribute in some way to what came before and and you know for what it's worth the the 66 show saved batman i mean prior to that show, the comic book sales were in the toilet. It looked like Batman might be canceled, and yet Batman came along in January of 66 and revived the, the comic sales and, and made Batman a pop culture phenomenon. And so, I mean, certainly I prefer a more serious, grounded take on the Batman. You can't diminish or dismiss his, his, uh, his adaptability 
and, and, and flexibility, if you will, as a character that can be many different interpretations. But you know, certainly there's no doubt that that series had some impact. I have to believe that. Uh, and this, this just feels like kind of an updated, uh, more serious and, and uh, you know, dare I say, grittier take on, on what might have come before. The Joker's outfit is great. The hat, the flower in his buttonhole. Oh, it's just—it's it, like the Joker from the comic books. It is a perfect translation from page to screen, and, and Nicholson just makes it work. And a lot of the stuff in this film too. I mean, there was some of the script, but there was a lot of stuff that he came up with on the on the fly. I mean, I mentioned how they rewrote the ending of the film. Uh, uh, while in production, but some of Nicholson's quirks and, and, and ticks in the film, those were all inspiration uh, on set. There's a, a, a dance he does later on that was a, a just sort of a tribute to a friend he, he knew, and he just thought it was appropriate for the Joker to do, and I'll, I'll point it out when we get to that scene in Vicky's apartment, but anyway, it just... Everything you could just see. He was a kid in a candy store with this movie. He, he just just eating it up and, and loving every moment of it. Oh, poor Alicia. The Joker's other girlfriend. This was another scene I remember as a kid being like kind of freaked out about it. She takes the mask off. Oh yeah, that's that that is frightening. That is frightening. <laughs> that's a good line. I'm no Picasso. <laughs> I just saw. Oh, it's just this is a great scene. <laughs> I thought it was a Pisces. <laughs> uh, he he is just so good in this movie. <laughs> oh, the big reveal! Here it comes. Th this was all. This was all on the fly with Nicholson. This is all him just. Just eating it out. <laughs> oh my god, it's terrifying. Oh, Batman, better late than ever. I love that entrance. It's like classic Batman, just smashing through the roof. There, there he goes. Batman saves the day. Uh, another one of the great lines. Here it comes. Oh, perfect. Where does he get those wonderful toys? <laughs> I love this moment. Yeah, which car? I mean, come on. <laughs> Let's be serious. <laughs> oh, that Batmobile. Oh, my God. The, uh, that is probably my favorite Batmobile. Uh, I, I had that as a... It was a toy as a kid. And, I mean, I was like... You know, a kid in a candy store myself, just like, you know, reenacting scenes from the movie. And, and, you know, I had like, you know, other little toy model cars and just like do these like great chase scenes. And I had like, sometimes I would like, you know, take the you know, old camcorder and like record everything. I was like, probably should have saved them. I mean, they weren't obviously that good, but just like in that moment. But, oh, that Batmobile is so sweet. Oh, that, that is, that is a sick ride. Oh, it's just such a cool car. 
Batman shows no fear, just complete control the entire time. Uh, so again, just Keaton's, it's just, it's the subtlety. He doesn't overdo it. He just sort of lets the costume, lets the look speak for the character. That kind of delivers the performance. Oh, it's fantastic. Again, shows no fear. I love this part. The shields come up. Oh, that's so cool. Wish my car did that. I wish I owned a Batmobile. I mean, don't we all? Like, we just want to just drive that. So friggin' awesome. Vicky Vale does scream a lot in this movie. That is something I, I remember. <laughs> there was a lot of screaming. <laughs> a lot of, maybe not quite damsel in distress, but definitely a lot of screaming. <laughs> oh, this scene is so cool. Yeah. He's human after. Check his wallet. <laughs> yeah. Just love it at Batman. Just master tactician. Love it. I mean, again, the, you know, the fights, you know, it's not by modern standards, but you know what? It, it still holds up. Like, I mean, this is, this is classic. This is Batman. You know, just kicking ass. <laughs> again, no fear. No fear. I love how Bob just drops the knife. Batman's like, come here. I'm going to kick your ass, too. It's, it's that subtle humor with Keaton's role that he, he doesn't overdo it. He doesn't play it for laughs. But there's just sort of a, a comedic quality that, that just sort of makes his Batman all that much more interesting. I used to love this part as a kid. Stop. Wish my car did that too, but it doesn't. Okay, now we get that Danny Elfman theme. Oh my god. The this theme, oh my god. I would argue until Michael Giacchino came in with his score for the Batman, I did not think there would be a score that would come close to topping. Danny Elfman's and, and I'm st the the jury is still out because this score is magnificent it, it is so powerful it's thematic it's epic it's rousing it, it is Batman and to think that this has been associated with the character really I mean you, you know you ask fans like okay name your favorite Batman theme and this is the go-to. Like even in any other iteration, it seems to always come back into focus. And I was just thinking from the trailer for the Flash, the subtle uh, keys of it playing uh, just shows what a legendary score it, it, it was and still is. I mean, it's it, it's Batman. I mean, this this is a Batman march, the Batman theme. And apparently, when when Danny Elfman was pitching it to the producers, uh, he was all over the place doing this song and this song and this song. And the producers at the time were like, okay, this guy doesn't, he doesn't got it. We'll have to try to find someone else. And then Tim Burton told them, play the march, you know, play the Batman theme. And he did. And of course the rest is history because they loved it. And that became the, uh, the iconic theme and Danny Elfman 
uh, has since go, gone on to do other big budget films as well, including Spider-Man. But uh, that, that Batman theme is iconic. It, it is iconic. Oh, I love this Batcave. Again, they really did a, a phenomenal job with the art, the, 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 the set decoration, the construction. I mean, the Batcave itself. I mean, this looks and feels like a real cave. It, I mean, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Just the design, the layers, the levels. Love it. Again, right here, Batman being the, being the detective. Crack the case. This that's scene shot right there, Keaton in the shadows, and you see just his eyes. I mean, that's what sells it. That that's what I think was the driving force for him getting the role. It's his eyes. You 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 lock it on his eyes, and you believe what he is saying, what he is doing. I mean, he's a remarkable and and, and wonderful actor, but his eyes really project and tell a story. And you can just see it. You can see it. He has that Batman glare. And there it is. Gotham Globe. Batman cracks the Joker's poison code. Another great scene right here. I have given a name to my pain. And it is Batman. Love it. Again, classic Joker right here. Of course he would shoot the television. Just genius. Just genius. All right, here we get to the big, one of the big parts of the movie. Bruce going to talk to Vicky, and this whole, well, this whole scene was originally meant to follow another big scene that was later scrapped, or it never even made it into production. It was storyboarded, but never actually filmed, and that was the inclusion of Robin. Because interestingly enough, Robin was a major part of, uh, well, of both films in some form or another. But they never uh, wanted to get the character in there. But in this particular film, they went so far as to storyboard the sequence. And that kind of ties back into the horse, uh, uh, horseback riding uh, sequence. After this scene where the Joker leaves, Bruce was supposed to go and follow after him. And he didn't have his Batman costume, and so he had to wear a mask, uh, like a, a, you know, a, a, you know, a ski mask or something over his face, and ride on horseback through the streets of Gotham, chasing down the Joker. And then Alfred was going to drive by and hand him his bat costume he would change and then during this process or during this whole exchange uh going after the joker he was going to go through a circus that was happening in downtown gotham and thus cause the death of dick grayson's parents uh, and then sort of you know set up the origin of robin for later on in the film and Ultimately, they just felt the story was too much. There was no reason to veer off in that direction. But you can actually find the storyboarded sequence on YouTube. And they've actually, it was, I think it was back in 2005, 2006, but they had Kevin Conroy and, and Mark Hamill voice Batman and the Joker. So you can kind of see what the scene would have been had it 
been included in the film or gone beyond the storyboard. But it's just sort of interesting because like the way this scene ends, the Joker leaves and then it uh, you know it cuts to a whole different time and place. But you know, it kind of makes sense with what was deleted that there was supposed to be something else. Uh, again, the what ifs, but I think it works that that Robin was left out of this film uh, and really the, the the next two because it it really works with this telling of Batman to kind of keep him more separate and in the shadows. But uh, it's a, it's a fascinating what if that you know if if it had gone according to plan, Robin would have been introduced in the scene following uh, this whole exchange with the Joker, but. Oh, this whole scene is, this this is great. This is the great Keaton moment of, you know, you want to get nuts. <laughs> oh, there's the Joker. You can't break an omelet without breaking some eggs. <laughs> Boy, he is he is just a kid in a candy store in this movie. This is an, another scene where, again, I like it when we can get Bruce Wayne out of the costume and, and just sort of do his Batman thing as Bruce Wayne and kind of, you know, shows that he and the Joker... Are, are you know kind of on the same level in terms of uh, stature in this moment? You know, no one has the advantage over the other; they're both equal. And I like how like everybody freaks out when Bruce smashes the vase, and yet the Joker's completely unfazed. Uh, it's just listening to him. Oh, it's, it's it's a great exchange because I mean both of them are fantastic actors, but they're really playing off of each other's. Uh, vibe and 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 reacting to one another in, in a way again without overdoing it. You know, Keaton's really you know playing off of Nicholson's reaction and, and smirks, and and Nicholson's just sort of you know being in the moment, listening to this story. It's it's it, uh, it's one of my favorite parts of the entire movie, and, and really in any Batman scene because it it kind of shows Bruce's tactical mind and, and trying to to you know goad the joker into doing something and of course he's he's successful in, in in doing that and and getting him to ultimately leave the apartment it's just sort of a you know it's it's one of those moments that that just works there it is <laughs> you want to get nuts that's just genius oh here it comes the big moment you ever dance with the devil by the pale moonlight? The big twist of the movie is coming. Killer of Batman's parents. That is a source of debate, discussion, certainly controversy. Perhaps not now, because I think people have sort of accepted it as part of the mythos of this movie. But I could imagine in a world where this comes out today, Twitter would be... a uh, on fire, if you will, uh, with such a, a deviation from the mythos. But oh, this was the scene I was talking about where, where Nicholson does the little dance. That This was all uh, done uh, right in the moment. He completely improvised this whole scene where he dances. Yeah, I mean, just, I mean, it's only Jack Nicholson can do. But now the, the whole killing of Bruce Wayne's parents by the Joker was something that Tim Burton wanted. And Sam Hamm, the, one of the writers for the film, tried to talk him out of it because he said, you can't have the Joker be the killer of Batman's parents because in the lore, Batman's parents are either killed by a random 
uh, criminal or it's been Joe Chill. But Tim Burton really thought, felt strongly that it should be the Joker and it should add a sort of thematic uh, you know, weight to the to the struggle of these two characters. And interestingly enough, there was a writer's strike going on at the time, and so Sam Hamm was unable to be on set for much of the production, and so thus he couldn't really contribute his his suggestion of, of stopping uh, the scene of, of the Joker being the killer of the parents. But I have to say that while it's a deviation from the mythos, and certainly I wouldn't want to see it integrated into the comics or or be adapted in any other form. It works in this particular movie because it's adding a whole other layer to the complex struggle between Batman and the Joker, which which again just gives this movie a little more of a of a dramatic oomph by the by the final confrontation. So you know. For the context of this movie, I, I'm okay with them taking the the creative liberties with making the Joker the the killer of Bruce's parents. It it, it adds a, a a unique twist on the mythos. But I mean, it also shows, I think, how how things have changed, and certainly the in the the invent of of social media and sort of the interactions that fans can have with creators i I don't think you could do something like this today because it would be such a deviation from the source material and and people would probably be be up in arms uh you know you know and perhaps rightfully so but i mean it it goes to show you how sort of in its own time capsule this this movie uh you know, was because, you know, outside of, you know, people writing in letters and, and, you know, things appearing on the, on the front page of newspapers, controversy was kind of kept at bay. Whereas today you almost can't help, but, but stumble into controversy, especially when it comes to taking creative decisions with, with characters and, and, and icons and, and contorting them in a way. But, I mean, I think that's a testament also to Tim Burton that he stuck to his guns and, you know, he, he got what he wanted for this particular movie. And especially given you know, his role as the director, I mean, he was really the, the, the driving force at getting this movie from development hell into the actual production stages and ultimately getting it on the big screen because he bought into the vision. He was able to find a psychological profile for Batman and the Joker and, and make the movie work. I mean, in part aided by the Dark Knight Returns graphic novel and a lot of more of the darker comics of the of the late 70s and 80s, but he really figured out the, the connection. And I think partly because he was, he felt uh, you know, connected to Batman that was definitely more uh, he's had more of a kinship. He understood the loneliness to the character. He understood the the pathos to the character, and and I think that helped at getting the project to that final stage. But I mean, interestingly enough, I mean, even though he was sort of working on it and kind of getting the project from one point to to the next, Warner Brothers was kind of uh, iffy on it uh, on hiring him for the director, and it was only after the the success of Beetlejuice. Uh, that that they finally greenlit Batman. So again, it's interesting to think that you know, had Beetlejuice not been a success, this movie might not have gotten made. But uh, you know, fortunately, Beetlejuice was a success, and and 
the rest, of course, is history. But uh, you know, it does show that how these things can change almost on a on a. Oh, I love the realization here that Bruce knows that the Joker killed his parents. Again, it's all in Keaton's eyes. Oh, th this was another scene. Uh, that people lost their minds over with Vicky Vale being led into the Batcave by by Alfred. Now I never I never took it that way. I I figured she took it as she figured it out. She figured it out once she saw the the news article about Bruce's parents being murdered when he was a child, and therefore she put it all together. Uh, but apparently, the way this happened, the movie had run over production. They had to wrap things up, and so. They just shot this scene of Alfred bringing Vicky Vale into the Batcave. And, you know, it's sort of like a, a what the fuck moment, Alfred. Like, come on, man. But that's sort of the, the mystery behind it. But I, I never had an issue with it because I kind of bought into this. At this point, she figured out. She she knew who he was. And she was, like, probably showing up at Wayne Manor and was like, okay, Alfred, you know, take me to Batman. Okay, I love this whole scene. Oh, my God. this is This is probably one of my favorite moments in any Batman movie period this whole explanation that that Keaton gives for why he does this it, it, it's again a lot of it, it it's in the subtleties a lot of it's 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 not overstated but you get the whole rationalization for why he is doing this this whole thing of just he can't make sense of it it's just something he has to do and I love how Vicky Vale says, but why? And he says it, honest to goodness, because no one else can. And that's it. That That is the whole point of why Bruce Wayne is Batman. That is why he is on this mission. No one else can do it. No one else can fight corruption. No one else can, can fight injustice. He he is the only one that can do it. And, and it's, it, it's, ugh, it's why I love this character. Side note, Michael Keaton kind of rocking a Steve Jobs look with the turtleneck and jeans. Just kind of funny noticing that, but you know, don't want to take away from the seriousness of this moment. It's, it, uh, this whole moment is perfect. You really get the psychology of Batman and what's going on in his psyche in this moment. See, he doesn't answer that. He's, he, he knows he has to keep trying. He may never make it a perfect world, but he has to try. He has to try. And I love how his immediate response is, I've, I've got to go because he's out there right now. It's, it's just such a bad, bad response. Always focused on the mission. Keaton. Matters. Batman. I mean, this is Batman. He is great. Oh, this is, this is fantastic. Oh, that suit is cool. That, ugh. Like, the suit makes the man. Like, again, it's not uh, uh, leotards. It's not a, it's not a, 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 a you know, a tights or anything or a, a piece of cloth. It, it, it's this, like, molded plastic armor, and it just works. Oh, it works. Okay, Batman using guns on the Batmobile. Oh, probably not. <laughs> Probably not cool, you know. That's a that might be a little might be a little much, you know. That's that's again creative liberties, the creative liberties, you know. <laughs> Does Batman kill in this movie? Eh, that's that's a, that's a fair it's a fair question to ask. There's there's, there's definitely some there's a gray line here. 
uh, this is this is probably not a Batman that holds true to the the no kill rule, but you know, creative liberties, creative liberties for this movie. No, I love the Batmobile driving through fire. That that is just oh, that's fucking awesome. Like these effects hold up. I mean, this movie again, thirty years old, and but it, but it works. I mean, again. No CGI, no computer work. This was all model shots and for real effects. I mean, this is just incredible. And it works. I mean, it honestly does. I mean, there's moments where you're like, you're like oh, it's maybe a tad dated, like some of the later stuff with the Joker on the balcony, but no, it's great. It really is. Okay, here we go, the big parade scene. Now, interestingly... The Gotham police force are largely absent throughout this whole sequence. It's only at the very end of it that Gordon and the cops show up. And I always wondered, like, where are the cops? Like, the Joker's running through town and, and passing up money and then trying to gas everybody. Where are the cops? Well, interestingly, in the script... Now, I don't know if this was ever shot because, as I said, there was a lot of on-the-fly changes with this movie... But there was a whole sequence where the Joker, like, gassed or, or, like, put to sleep half the Gotham police force. So that explains their absence uh, in this particular scene. Because, you know, I was always wondering, like, what, where the hell are the cops? Like, I mean, I know the Gotham police force is incompetent, but, like, I mean, this is a, this is a criminal offense. But there's the explanation. So if you were wondering where were the cops, there was a scene in the script where the they were either poisoned or, or gassed and then, you know, largely were taken off the map uh, until Gordon and, and the backup crew arrive. But that's uh, just sort of interesting. You know, the Prince songs, I have to say, do work in this movie. You know, it's not, again, overdone. It's only like two parts, but it, it, it works. Even That's probably, I guess, the only thing that's dated is you, know, you kind of have the Prince songs, but... I mean, may he rest in peace. Uh, you know, he he was he was a remarkable talent, but uh, you know they they kind of work again. Going for that that just quirky quirky side of this movie, uh, it it all works. You know, I mean, someone made a point to me that this movie doesn't have a a a kind of overarching story. It's it's a lot of like event and happening moments and. I mean, I think that's that is a fair criticism. I mean, I you know kind of always you know look for the the bigger picture stuff, and you know I kind of see it as this battle between Batman, this psychological battle between Batman and the Joker, uh, you know, between sanity and insanity, one wanting to go sane, the other one going embracing insanity. But I mean, it, you know, it is fair that I mean the, the story is kind of all over the place with this movie. Uh, and things just sort of happen from beat to beat. But, I mean, it works. I mean, it's the experience. It's the event. This was an event movie. And it was a it was a fucking box office hit. Pardon my French. But it was a hit. And, and you know, I, I think people just were excited to have Batman on the big screen in a serious, real uh, tradition. And, 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 I mean, I love it. I'm, I'm having a blast just re-watching this again. I mean, I know... You know, for me, Returns is still my favorite of the Keaton Burton films. I just think this, that one has just such 
much more weight to it, and, and there's much more of a of a darker story. But I mean, you can't deny just what a what a genius and fun movie this this is. I mean, Batman '89 started the superhero trend, which I mean, for better or for worse, is still with us here today. But I mean, it turned these these you know movies into these huge blockbuster events that I mean now they appear to be on you know every other week almost but I mean this is where it all started I mean uh, Nicholson is just great I mean he just really is just oh my god I, I have forgotten how how great he is in this film he's just a a force of nature I mean it's, it's Jack Nicholson you couldn't imagine anybody else in that in that time playing the Joker he was just perfect absolutely perfect I always wanted that that Batwing as a kid. That was so freaking cool. Like it's just so perfect. He stole my balloons. Certainly, balloons have been a topic of conversation in recent days in the headlines. Just blame everything on the Joker, right? <laughs> this whole sequence is perfect. Tension is building. We you know we're we're we know something dramatic is going to happen. Battle of the Batwing. Amazing too to think that this movie would had the potential to be the biggest failure of all time based on the budget and all the money that went into it. And if it if it hadn't clicked, I mean for those of us who didn't see it in '89, we have it the context of history. But my God, I mean was the first film to cross a hundred million dollars in ten days. Like I mean this was a this was a huge financial assault. I mean it was a mega hit. I mean over over two hundred and fifty million dollars at the time in the United States, over four hundred million worldwide. I mean it was the highest grossing Batman movie until the Dark Knight. Like it was this was a fantastic just comic book come to life and and, and it worked it, it just worked and that's not counting what came after for you know merchandising revenue and of course jack nicholson he he, he had a great payday with this film uh, not only with with the the money up front but then the marketing and the merchandising afterwards oh there go the balloons bye <laughs> this i love this whole exchange he stole my balloons he uses one of his goons to step down. <laughs> Classic Joker. This is one of those moments too, where it's like, yes, yes, this is right out of the out of the, out of the book. This is this is the Joker's character. You know, he might shake your hand. He might shoot you. In this case, he shoots Bob. Oh, there goes Bob. No more number one. <laughs> oh, the Batwing is fully armed. <laughs> Again, creative liberties. Oh, the intense showdown. This is fantastic. There it goes. There it is. Oh. I love this whole moment. Just a classic Batman Joker scene. And yet Batman does not hit him. <laughs> does not hit him. Comes close. No, doesn't hit him. <laughs> And the Joker pulls out a huge gun. <laughs> oh my god. 
forgot how great this state is. Like this is just an it's an enjoyable movie to watch. It 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 is pure popcorn entertainment. But yet, you know, it's the first Batman. You know, it's the first Batman on the big screen. And it just works. It just works. It 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 meets all your expectations. And you know, you rewatch it and you're the biggest smile on your face. You see, all this right here with the Batwing crash, this was all model shots. I mean, you know, a little, little dated, I'm not going to lie, a little dated, but you know what? There's there's an honesty to it. There's there's a, there's a genuine honesty to it that's that's appreciated. You know that that doing it all for real, doing it with models. Uh, we don't see that today because mostly everything is in the computer. But uh, it's again probably why this movie works. Now I'll be interested because the Batwing has been destroyed. I imagine the Batwing will be rebuilt for the Flash movie, uh, given that it was uh, hinted at in the uh, in the trailer. But. Now, this whole sequence here with the Joker and her going into the church, this was all rewritten on, 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 on during production. The original ending, if you go off of the script, there was this whole showdown in the tower with the Joker having a bunch of bombs and then Batman having to defuse the bombs and then there was going to be this whole like unleashing of bats from the bell tower and that was going to take the Joker down. And... I, you know, I've I read the the exchange in the script, and I mean it, it's fine, but I think this works better because again, it kind of feeds into that idea of it being this this psychological battle, this struggle between these two foes that I think would have been lost. It, it there was a it, there was too much going on in the final confrontation. That is, of course, you know, you know, to say nothing about Robin's inclusion uh, because Robin was still in the script, but, you know, again, changes can be, can be for the better, I think, sometimes. You don't always have to follow the script in order to, to make the, uh, the movie work. I mean, this was a movie that I think benefited from improvisation and rewrites and changing things as they went, but, uh, you know, it's, it's worth a read if you are curious, because just to see what might have been, I mean, you can find copies of the script online, uh, all over the place, and it is interesting, but I, I think this one, this ending works because it's subtle, and it's not too over the top, it's not too many things going on, it's not too busy, it, it's again, focusing on the real struggle, which is between Batman and the Joker, not, you know, Batman trying to defuse a bunch of bombs, and then saving Vicky, it's, it's just this, it's this singular mission, and again, I like, I like how Batman in this instance, he's just, you know, he's going for he's climbing the stairs you know he could fire his grappling gun but you know he's 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 making the climb and yeah i think it kind of speaks to the character in, in this movie that you know he is he truly is committed he is he is obsessed on his on his mission you know he's wounded he's injured but he's still he's still on he's still not going to stop he still doesn't quit you know that's that's batman you know he doesn't give in he doesn't give up oh there's there, there are the police better Better late than never, you know. <laughs> Mystery has been solved, though, if you were curious about the cops, where where they were, at least in the script. But, again, Gotham police, always uh, always late to the party, as they uh, tend to be. <laughs> and apparently this whole confrontation in the 
and the bell tower was inspired by Phantom of the Opera. Um, for those of you who uh, are, are uh, you know, buffs of these things uh, like me, I mean, I would I would recommend if you haven't and you're curious, there is a number of, of great documentaries on this movie, but there was one in particular that came out back in 2005 or 2006 that was part of the DVD uh, release box set of, of all of these films. And on one of the documentaries, they talked about the rewriting uh, of this scene, and apparently it was inspired by Phantom of the Opera. And I guess the way the story goes, Jack Nicholson and one of the producers had seen Phantom of the Opera while they were on location, and they thought, hey, that would be a cool way to have the showdown take place in a tower. And so that's what sort of led to this whole rewriting of the ending with Joker and, and Vicky dancing in the tower and Batman on his way to to stop them. Uh, again, just sort of an interesting uh, creation. But I, I would recommend checking out any of these documentaries. There's been a number of them over the years, but particularly the ones that came out with the box. I think it was like a three-part set called like The Legend Reborn, The Dark Knight, and I, I forget the third title, but it was, you know, these three three-part uh, episodes that really documented the road from conceiving the idea for the story ultimately to the to the release of the film and all of the the pitfalls along the way with casting and drama and and just the on the on the set uh, uh, footage. It was really fascinating. And, and, and this suit, and I probably mentioned it earlier, but Keaton's movement was restricted in it. I mean, it looks cool, but apparently it was not a functioning outfit. Like, he had a tough time walking, moving around in it. So the movements of Batman in this movie, outside of the, the head turn, which I mentioned, or the lack thereof... Um, were largely dictated by the costume, the way Batman would position himself, the way he would stand, the way he would walk, were all because of the costume's restrictions. And yet it kind of works because it, it gives this sense that, that, you know, he is another person, that, that the suit makes him this uh, uh, you know other individual. And it, and it just sort of adds a whole other layer of complexity to Batman character, uh, Batman's character. But it's all hinging on the fact that, that he really had a tough time moving and the, and the suit was very cumbersome, which I guess was one of the reasons it was partially des uh, redesigned for Batman Returns and later subsequent films in the canon. But, uh, you know, they never fixed the head turn until The Dark Knight. But uh, just sort of interesting how it all it all began because it was not a, it was not a comfortable suit, I guess, for him to... Uh, to, to him to wear, but yet, you know, he made it work because that, you know, that, that rigidness sort of plays into the character's strengths. Not <laughs> this whole line with the Joker. <laughs> if anyone else calls you beast, I'll rip their lungs out. <laughs> I don't remember seeing that in the script, so I have to wonder if that was another ad lib by, by Nicholson. It may have been in, in another draft, but it's a, it just it, it's a great joker line <laughs> but 
Not sure this scene could would probably be in a movie to Seducing the Joker, yeah, probably not gonna happen. Oh, here we go, the final showdown. Good and evil. You made me. I love that line. <laughs> the teeth. <laughs> you see, right here with this line with Batman, you made I made you, but you made me first. Again, really emphasizing this this battle that they are connected and that this is some psychological struggle. Yeah, that's again. Which just add, that's why I do like him being the killer of his parents in this movie because it does add that that weight to it. I think that was a good choice creatively because it it enhances their struggle. That line right there, you know, you know, I made you, but you made me first. That that I mean, that's it. That's that that's the whole that's the whole story, and it really exemplifies their their conflict. Now, why would you take his hand? Vicky screaming again. I, I don't understand. Like the man is a psychotic maniac. Why would you get? Why would you think he would be on the level? <laughs> oh goodness. I mean, this is like one of those scenes. Like you could just tell Jack Nicholson was having a freaking ball. When I was a kid, I used to always recreate this scene with my action figures. I'd have like you know a toy helicopter, and I'd get like some string, and you know I'd have like you know Batman pulling the Joker down. It was the, the, I had like hours of amusement, you know, recreating this stuff as a kid. Oh, it was great. It was great times. Oh my God, this is this is intense. You know, one of the interesting. T tidbits with the earlier drafts of this script the Joker didn't die uh, and again we're talking you know way way back in, in some of the first attempts but they the Joker was purposefully kept alive because the thought being in future sequels the Joker could return but insofar as Sam Hamm and Tim Burton's involvement the Joker always died at the end of this film and yeah, Christopher Nolan, I remember reading somewhere, said, you know, that was something that he, you know, he wanted to to go out of his way not to do with The Dark Knight, which was to have the Joker be arrested with the, with the idea of being, of course, that, you know, he might return for other films. Um, but, but Tim Burton felt in this movie, in this context, that, you know, like in the, in the old Disney movies, like in kind of, you know, think The Wizard of Oz, even like... He, he, you as an audience, you want the villain to meet an end. You want a grand defeat, and and that definitely happens for the Joker in this movie. It kind of it, it's it's poetic, you know. He ultimately meets his end, uh, you know. He falls into a vat of chemicals, and then ultimately falls to his death. You know, I mean, effects are probably a little dated there, but you know, it, it all works. It all works. You know, it all it all works. More screaming. <laughs> oh. It's okay. I love how they just, I love this, this hanging in midair with a spotlight. Yeah, it's just, just, yeah. Again, just sort of pure innocence. 
Oh, there he is. The Joker is no more. And interestingly, Tim Burton did say, uh, I forget where I read it. It may have been in a documentary even where this whole scene with the Joker and the laugh box, I mean, clearly he is dead. But he did want to kind of leave that little question mark of because of the Joker, you never know whether or not what you're seeing is what you get. So kind of leaves you that suspicion, you know, is he dead? Is he not? But, um, you know, kind of, kind of a fun what if to think about. I love this whole part with the signal, everyone, you know, kind of rallying, rallying behind Batman. He is the savior. This whole ending was, was, was great. The signal. Like it, this, it's this is a fun movie. Like I, I've forgotten how enjoyable this movie is. You know, it, it like it just, it again, it builds to this moment. It builds to this climax. Love it. I mean that scene with the with the signal. That's perhaps one of the best endings to any Batman movie. It's just perfect because it represents everything about the character that he's always there. He's you know, looking out over Gotham, protecting the city. You know, he's just a bat signal away. <laughs> oh, this, oh, chills! Absolute chills. That's so great. It's just it, it, this movie is iconic. It, it is iconic, just for the set pieces. The music, Keaton. I mean, like it, this is an iconic movie. Nicholson. I mean, it, it's an iconic film that it's, it, it's it holds up. I mean, it really holds up, and and it is a special movie because it was the first. It, it was the first attempt to bring Batman to the big screen, and, and thank God it worked because we've gotten more Batman over the years. He has, he is the most popular character superhero as far as I'm concerned. He is the greatest, and he he owes it all to this movie. The character owes it all to this movie. Thank God this movie worked. It it made Batman even bigger than he already was, it, it and it distinguished it him from the from the TV show, and, and returned Batman to his gothic roots. I mean, this ending, I mean, this is what superhero movies are made of. This is what comic book movies are made of. Triumphant, optimistic, exciting, leaves you wanting more. There he is. The signal shining, Batman looking out over Gotham City. It perfect. It, this is a perfect movie. Wow. Absolutely wow. Wow. I mean, just... I, I, every time I rewatch this movie, I leave with the same big smile on my face. You know, to, to paraphrase the Joker, it always brings a smile to my face. This movie is fantastic. I mean, I, I'm really amazed because I mean I haven't watched it in a year, but just amazed at how well it has held up for especially you know thirty plus years ago. The effects, the design, the set, everything—it it really does hold up and I think it's because there's so much passion that went into this 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 truly was 
a labor of love for, for 10 years. And I mean, you have to hand it to people like Michael Uslan who, who were pushing this project and then Peter Goober and, and John Peters, the producers, and of course, Tim Burton. I mean, he is the creative force behind this movie. And, and he really leaves his signature on on this film and, and more so with returns but but you can just feel there is a there is a cool distinction that that separates this movie from other films in the genre and even even in the present day this movie was an event i mean i was watching some youtube coverage from back when the movie premiered and I mean, you could just feel the sense that people were ready for this movie. They were ready for something different. And one person described it, it's it's like a sequel, but it's the first movie. Like, it just had such hype and anticipation around it. And and, and it exceeded everybody's expectations. It, it turned Hollywood upside down. It reinvented the, the, the blockbuster summer movie. It transformed the comic book genre, and we're still living in that world today, and we owe it, truly, we owe it to Batman. I mean, we have to acknowledge Superman, the movie, and what came from those films, but, but Batman was on a whole other level. I mean, the, 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 there's the marketing phase, there's the merchandising phase. I mean, that's all with Batman and truly being a movie that was hyped and built up as this incredible force of nature. I mean, just mad props to everybody involved. And it, 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 it is a spectacular film. I have to say it really is. I mean, again, I said earlier, I pref- my preference is returns. I think that is the stronger of the two, but I mean, damn, this is a good movie. And I mean, Michael Keaton, he is Batman. I mean, dear God, the the man, the man had it in 1989. He still got it in 2023. Uh, I mean, this just gets me amped for the Flash movie uh, and Keaton's return uh, as Batman. It's going to be utterly fantastic, I think. But okay, final final thoughts on this on this uh, movie. I mean. It, it really it's flawless i mean i mean yeah we can pick apart story uh, and and creative liberties and and you know character types and whatnot but i mean on the whole you you can't ask for a better film and the first batman movie i mean it, it, like it works and and it's it's never feels like there's a wink and a nod like everybody's playing it seriously maybe not playing it too seriously there's that nice balance but i mean gotham city looks like a real place keaton is i mean keaton is keaton i mean there's nothing more i can say other than to say you know he is batman dear god but jack nicholson is fantastic i mean you know you see clips and you see pictures over the year but i mean it's always great to to revisit his performance and really see why it was so special and 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 genre defining and really transcending because he he brought his his game to to play the joker and you know damn it did he did he deliver a hell of a performance for the clown prince but i mean even even the supporting characters i mean kim basinger is vicky vale i mean she brings such a warmth and a heart to the role and to the movie opposite keaton's kind of aloofness and detachment as bruce wayne it's really a nice combination of the two and you know, Michael Goth as Alfred, he's he's just wonderful. Um, 
but I mean, you know, Billy D. Williams, Pat Hingle, I mean, Jack Palance. I mean, it's 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 a well-rounded cast, and and everybody plays to their strength. Everybody brings their game, and then ultimately delivers uh, terrific performances. And of course, the score. I mean, Danny Elfman's music is it's iconic. It is truly the iconic, defining Batman theme, the the definitive Batman theme in in many ways. And I mean, just the look of Gotham City, the 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 lights, the grime, the dirtiness, it all just feels like it's been ripped from the pages of the comic book and translated in beautiful technicolor fashion. And again, you have to give all of that, you know, much of that credit to Tim Burton because he had this this vision. He bought into it and, and he made it his own while adhering to the mythology as best he could and, and to the spirit of the character, I mean, all in all, th- this is this is an A movie. I, I really, this I will have to probably you know, be re-ranking my Batman films at some point, and I, I can definitely see this moving even further up uh, from where I had it last year because th- this is utterly, utterly spectacular, and it just you know, kind of I think having that distance from it and then re- returning to it. It really shows you what a what a fun and special movie it was and is, and how it really transformed the genre and made Batman, in many ways, what he is today and and continues to be. So, I think that's all I have to say on Batman, nineteen eighty nine. Certainly, we'll be revisiting it. Uh, in some form or another once we get closer to The Flash. But uh, I I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I had a fun time revisiting it and just sort of giving you my thoughts and reactions uh, as uh, as I watched it. I I do hope you enjoy uh, having a chance to listen to this episode later on. Let me know your thoughts. Do you like this? Do you want to see more of this down the road? Again, this is one of those fun interactive parts uh, for the show. First, uh, First ever for Phil at the movie, so hopefully you get to do more of this. But uh, next week, be back with more traditional uh, uh, movie movie review episode. But uh, I'll uh, I'll leave you in suspense for what it will be. But it is a uh, a current uh, a current released uh, a, a current film, I should say. But I think that will cover us all for today. Just gonna put out the uh, the, the old bat signal and. Uh, turn in uh turn in for the night but uh as always everybody thank you so much for listening i will be back next week and we will do this all over again for the love of movies <laughs>